Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpackers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic. Episode 44. The economy is the best it's been in 50 years. Unemployment among women and all minorities is the lowest in recorded history. The stock market seems to hit record highs on a regular basis. Technology is advancing at an almost exponential rate. In fact, much of today's technology was considered science fiction a mere decade ago, and none of it could even be imagined 50 years ago. All of these things are advancements that benefit us, yet as a society, we stay in a perpetual state of regression. I'll tell you what I mean when we come back. What did Billy D. Williams... The celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross. Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity. How the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews. And much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. As an old man who's mostly bound to a wheelchair and can no longer drive or write, I obviously have fewer distractions than most people. This affords me the opportunity to make a lot of observations of the world around me and cogitate on what I see and hear. For decades now, I've noticed that the more our society advances, the more we regress into adolescence. There are plenty of outward signs to tell us this. For example, when I began college back in the 70s, there are two things no man would ever do, wear tennis shoes or shorts in public. Boys stopped wearing tennis shoes in middle school, we called junior high school in those days, except on the days we had gym class. And no boy with any self-respect would wear shorts after about age 10. You see, in those days, they had fathers to emulate. Boys aspired to be men, real men, like their fathers. Our fathers were very manly men. They saved the world from fascism in World War II or communism in Korea. Our fathers were responsible men. Debt was kept small, they paid their bills, and they provided for their families. When life would throw a financial curveball, they didn't place the new financial burdens on their wives. They got a second job. Men knew their wives had their hands full, nurturing their sons and daughters and keeping the home they all shared clean and comfortable. Our fathers were ever-present. We kids knew that Dad would be there every night for dinner. We knew we could tell him about the things we did that day, things to make him proud, because we cared about pleasing the masculine figure in the family, or at least not disappointing him. We also knew we could ask our fathers for sound advice about the problems we had. 
Dads were ever-present and loving, but they disciplined us too. The most chilling thing a boy could hear was his mother saying, I'll tell your daddy when he gets home. That would usually cause us to immediately alter the behaviors that motivated mom's threat because we knew from experience what that meant. At the very least, we'd get a firm lecture, then told what sort of corporal punishment we'd receive the next time we misbehaved in that particular way. At the most, we'd feel the pain and humiliation of Dad's paddle or belt on our fifth point of contact. Yes, our fathers disciplined us with lectures and corporal punishment, but no one criticized that in those days. Our fathers had seen the worst of life in the world, and they knew the best way to protect us from those evils was to discipline us and help us to become good men. The most important thing is that our fathers were ever present. Unless a father died, our homes always had a dad there. Divorce was rare and scandalous. We just took it for granted that mom and dad would always be there. Because our fathers were real men, we boys always strove to imitate them. Apart from the fact that imitation is the best form of flattery, we believe that imitating our fathers would make us become real men. It's not that way today. Although modern men have manly bodies, they think with adolescent minds. And without realizing it, they're passing that immaturity on to their sons. There's some outward signs that women are perpetual adolescents as well. Yeah, the tennis shoe thing applies here too, but that's not all. In my day, don't you just hate it when an old guy says that? In my day, it was fairly uncommon for a girl to wear short hair. Most of them wore their hair long, flowing over the shoulders and down the back. Some would wear bangs, some not. As they grew older and began the journey into adulthood, they imitated what their mothers did. The styles were different between mother and daughter generations, but they wore shorter hair like mom. And if they decided to keep their long hair, it was put up rather than allowed to hang around the shoulders and flow. Today's perpetual adolescent women continue to wear their hair as they did when they were kids. They never outgrew it. Perpetual adolescence is evident in the way women dress these days. With rare exception, you can't see much difference, if any, between the way moms dress and the way their daughters dress. Does feminine vanity cause them to want to look younger, or are they just unable to leave their adolescence? Either way, it's sad and disappointing. The more a woman tries to look young rather than age gracefully, the older she looks. Things are a little different for modern women than for men. Modern men are just boys, adolescents. Women, on the other hand, are both adolescent and being transformed into a masculinized version of femininity. I realize that seems contradictory, but just bear with me for a moment and I'll try to explain it. There are actually multiple factors working against modern women. The first factor is men remaining in their adolescence. They make a commitment to a woman, sort of, and sire a child or two. Then they find that the adult responsibilities that come with being a dad and husband, or significant other these days, are just too much for the boy that they are. They come up with some sort of excuse for abandonment that sounds adult to them, then they're out the door. The adolescent women are then left to care for a child or children they're not equipped to deal with, but they do the best they can, oftentimes with government assistance, which is just a modern form of slavery. That's another issue, though. 
Another thing they have working against them is radical feminism. Based on my conversations with modern women, I don't believe most of them are feminists, not under the current popular definition anyway, but they've been gravely affected and influenced by it nonetheless. For about five decades now, the radical feminist movement has done all it can to feminize men and masculinize women. That's one reason homosexuality has been on the rise with both genders in recent years, but that's another altogether different subject. The most prevalent way women are masculinized is by the constant bombardment of women with the really obvious apparent lie that there's no difference between the sexes. The most recent advancement of that lie is gender fluidity and the notion that gender is non-binary. That doesn't even make sense, but neither does the whole radical feminist and LGBT thing. What have been the effects on women who would otherwise be relatively normal in the light of natural law? To begin, they've learned to abandon their traditional role as nurturing mothers and wives in favor of seeking self-satisfaction in a career. For many women, if not most, career is everything. There's nothing natural about that. Actually, I empathize with them more than criticize them. So rare is it that they can find a man, a real adult man, to walk with through life that they can't be blamed too much for making a career a top priority. Another factor working against women is one I used to think rather silly, so I rejected it. It's a factor I first heard promoted by Tucker Carlson. He tied virtually everything anti-life and anti-family into a corporate America conspiracy. I rejected this because I'm not inclined to easily accept conspiracy theories. And in this case, I'm not entirely sure whether there's a conspiracy or things have just worked out in a way that seems conspiratorial. It's Carlson's belief that corporate America advocates for abortion, promotes contraception, and discourages the growth of families because of their bottom line, profits. Corporate America most certainly promotes abortion and contraception, and they've always hated hiring women of childbearing age who might become pregnant. That's long been evident. Heaven forbid that women might have this silly counterproductive notion of actually growing a family. Get back to work, ladies, corporate America says. You can't have a family. Your commitment is to us. Everything about men, women, and their relationships is all wrong and unnatural. Grown men and women aren't supposed to be adolescents. They're supposed to be adults. There are some adults, but there are damn few of them. Most of the 60 and 70-year-olds I know are still adolescents. No man is immune to perpetual adolescence. I know a man who's received nearly every medal for courage and valor the Army awards. This man fought in Vietnam and every skirmish we had after that for the next 30 years. He retired from the Army as a sergeant major, the highest rank an enlisted man could earn. You'd think a man like this would define what it is to be grown up, yet he's just another adolescent in his behavior and thinking. There's nothing natural about that. Adults are supposed to be financially responsible, but few are because they're still adolescents. Most Americans are drowning in debt, which is another sign that they're still adolescents. They belong to a very selfish and materialistic culture. Modern adolescents have to have their bright, shiny objects, and they have to have them now, right now. Saving for something is silly when it can be had this second because it can be purchased on credit. 
and adolescents with a ton of debt waste an enormous amount of money on interest payments for trinkets alone. They want what they want when they want it and the way they want it. I know a man my age who retired from a job with the state. Those sorts of jobs have a great, dependable retirement, right? Well, not necessarily. He quite uncharacteristically did something about 20 years ago. He put pen to paper and came to the realization that his retirement actually might not be all that great. Because he knew I had a background in such things, he asked me to help him figure out what to do. The first thing I had to do was look at his overall financial picture. What I found was horrifying and should have kept him awake at night with worry, but it was actually exceedingly common in those days. Pretty common now, too. His home was mortgaged to the hilt with three mortgages. He carried a credit card debt of more than $11,000. He and his wife traded for new cars every three to four years. They had no savings to speak of and lived from paycheck to paycheck. He'd risen to a pretty high level in the bureaucracy he worked for, so his income was relatively substantial. In fact, between his and his wife's income, his household income exceeded $150,000 20 years ago. Despite this, he was broke, only one disaster away from bankruptcy. I told him I could help him get out of debt and increase his retirement by 100 to 150%, but that it wouldn't be easy. It would require a lot of self-discipline and sacrifice. He agreed, so I helped him set up a budget that would relieve his debt in five to seven years, depending on the curveballs life threw at him. The highest priority in this budget adjustment was to refuse to create any more debt under any circumstances. Over the next several months, I could tell he was sticking to the plan because a new self-confidence and energy became apparent. Then one day, he bragged that I should see his new big-screen TV. I was floored. I asked him how he pulled that off. He told me he bought it on time. I asked why he did such a stupid thing. He said he wanted to be able to see his favorite college football team better on the Saturday games he couldn't get a ticket to go. He said my budget plan was working so well at knocking down his debt that he felt like he could reward himself with this one purchase. Is that adult thinking? No, it's the way an adolescent thinks. And his wife was no better because she actually encouraged the new debt. Another way perpetual adolescence manifests itself is in parenting. I saw a video that popped up in the news cycle recently. A man and his son were the unattended stars in the video. The boy looked to me like he was about 11 or 12 years old. The pair were verbally accosting a man who was about to get out of his truck with a rifle to go into the woods for a little deer hunting. This young boy's language was disgusting and should have embarrassed his father. The boy used words I never heard until after I joined the army. What was even more amazing was that it seemed perfectly normal to the father. Whatever happened to the principle that children are to be seen and not heard? Had I even looked like I was considering the possibility of using language like that when I was that boy's age, my father would have knocked me into next Tuesday. That's what his father should have done. But the adolescent father and mother today wants to be the child's buddy rather than a parent. There's a teacher at the school in my parish. She has three kids, and she and her husband rightly brings them to Sunday Mass. Nobody wants to sit anywhere near them, though. 
The children are loud, disruptive, and incredibly disrespectful. Dad completely ignores the children and their behavior. The schoolteacher mom only occasionally tells them to be quiet. She's an adolescent who wants to be her kid's buddy instead of a parent. Since neither parent will discipline these kids, I fully expect to see these kids' names pop up in the paper in a few years to read that a criminal court judge disciplined them for the errant parents. Perpetual adolescence is destroying this country by destroying our society. If anything I've said in this episode seemed familiar to you, then chances are very favorable that you're an adolescent. It's time you put on your big boy or big girl pants and begin your own personal journey to adulthood. Oh, just in case the things I've said here angered you, keep in mind that I've said many times in this podcast that truth is seldom comfortable and tends to anger people when they're in conflict with that truth. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. A federal judge struck down the so-called transgender mandate, vacating an Obama-era requirement that doctors perform gender transmission surgeries upon request. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number 4. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. The true story of Irina Sendler, 
a Polish Catholic woman who helped smuggle thousands of Jewish children out of the Jewish ghetto in Warsaw during World War II, will feature in a new historical thriller film produced by starring Israeli actress Gal Gadot. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has announced the state will erect a statue of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. The announcement comes two months after a New York City public arts program refused to build a statue of Mother Cabrini, despite the saint topping a poll organized by the program. What do you know? Cuomo finally does something right. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to the blaze. A New Jersey middle school reassigned a teacher after the unidentified educator habitually kneeled during the morning recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance, which took place during homeroom. Teachers aren't paid to indoctrinate our students. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to National Review. The city of San Francisco will not pay travel expenses to city employees who travel to 22 states with restrictive laws against abortion. Mayor London Breed claimed the city was standing up against states which puts women's health at risk. Who the hell does that hurt except city employees who have to travel to those states to conduct city business? You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. My hat's off and all my respect and kudos go to Father Robert E. Morey of St. Anthony Catholic Church in South Carolina. He's a courageous and true priest of the living God, and I'd be proud to serve him in any way I could. Father Morey is the priest who very publicly denied Holy Communion to former Vice President Joe Biden at Mass last week. Father Morey said, Sadly, this past Sunday I had to refuse Holy Communion to former Vice President Joe Biden. Holy Communion signifies we are one with God, each other, and the Church. Our actions should reflect that. Any public figure who advocates for abortion places himself or herself outside church teaching. Ordinarily, I wouldn't heap out praise on someone just for doing what they're supposed to do, and that's what Father Morey was doing. However, this particular act of obedience to the church requires courage, and there are damn few bishops and priests who have been willing to demonstrate this courage. Father Morey merely obeyed the Code of Canon Law, a book-length document that all Catholic bishops, priests, deacons, and lay people are obligated to obey under pain of sin. According to Canon Law, any public figure that publicly advocates for things that are contrary to the faith, such as homosexuality or abortion, incurs the penalty of late sensiae excommunication, which is an automatic excommunication that occurs immediately when the offender commits the offense. Biden incurred late sensiae excommunication years ago when he became an abortion advocate. According to Canon 915, those upon whom the penalty of excommunication or interdict has been imposed or declared, and others who obstinately persist in manifest grave sin, are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. 
Therefore, Father Morey merely did his duty and obeyed canon law. Biden, who has a 100% rating from Planned Parenthood, seemed genuinely puzzled that Father Morey refused him communion. Biden said, It's not a position that I've found anywhere else, including from the Holy Father, who gives me communion. Of course, that shouldn't be surprising, because this pope only seems to promote priests and bishops who are friendly to and push the LGBT agenda. There have been damn few others in the church's authority who've done this. The cowardly traitor of Christ, Timothy Cardinal Dolan of New York, when commenting on Joe Biden being refused communion, said that he wouldn't have done that. Well, you manifest sinner, you've already demonstrated in the past that you prefer to curry the favor of so-called Catholics who are advocates for the culture of death. You should have refused communion and even formally excommunicated such New York Catholic luminaries as Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio. But no, you'd rather be liked by these culture of death people and contribute to their sins and sacrileges. This isn't to say that all our bishops are like Cardinal Death Dolan. Back when John Kerry was running for president, Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke was the Archbishop of St. Louis. Then Archbishop Burke publicly told Kerry not to bother presenting himself for communion in his diocese because it wasn't happening. Bishop Thomas John Paprocki of Springfield, Illinois, for instance, expressly forbade all priests under his governance to give Holy Communion to politicians that supported the Reproductive Health Act, the most radical permissive abortion law in the country. I've no doubt there are other bishops in America who will do the same thing when given the opportunity. Actually, this situation might open a door for us to improve the current difficulties we face in the Catholic Church in America. We need to be just as aggressive and positive as the culture of death is aggressive and negative. Contact Father Morey and show him some love and support for what he did. Then write Bishop Paprocki and tell him how proud you are to be able to point to him as a shepherd. Then CC a copy of your letter to Bishop Paprocki along with an addendum asking the other bishops when they're actually going to stand with Christ instead of his enemies. Then maybe, just maybe, we can witness bishops actually acting like bishops. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo.
I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A boy came into a shop and asked the shopkeeper if he could use the telephone. The shopkeeper said he could, then he overheard the boy's conversation. Is that you, Mr. Jones? Oh, Mr. Jones, this is a boy speaking. Do you need a messenger boy, Mr. Jones? I'd like to work for you. Oh, you have a boy already? Well, Mr. Jones, does that boy do good work? He does. You're satisfied then? All right, thank you. Goodbye. The boy put down the receiver and turned to the shopkeeper. Well, thank you, sir. I'm Mr. Jones' messenger boy, and I was just checking up on myself. God's opinion about you is what really matters. You'll know it for certain a moment after your death. In the meantime, you have to check up on yourself as the messenger boy did by making a good examination of conscience, not only when you go to confession, but each night before you go to bed. Such a spiritual checkup and regular sincere confession will help you keep your soul in order and make it pleasing to God. That's it for this episode, Six Packers. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure and check out my show notes for things related to this episode. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends about it. And I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review or a comment. I'll see you next week, Six Packers. And remember, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.